0: Last week we had a chance to get started in the study of Hezekiah, and as uh, we were able to see last week, the background behind this particular text is from a time period in the life of Israel and Judah, the kingdom of the Lord, uh, the, uh, as we would see the Israelites were divided into the north and the south. The south, of course, had two tribes, in particular, Judah and Benjamin. They are called Judah in the scriptures. The north was called Israel. And as they were divided, Israel went off into sin very quickly, as a matter of fact. And with this sin that they went into, which which is, of course, idolatry, Syria came in and, and took them into captivity. And basically, that was it for them. Judah, because of men like Hezekiah, men like Josiah, the south continued longer before they went into captivity. Of course, we know that story is that they went into captivity with Babylon, and much of us know about that because many of the prophets are geared and designed around that time period of Judah's life that the book of Daniel and other books like that during the actual captivity or the exile that they were in. And this such a sad time period because you would think by now that Israel, in particular Judah, would have learned, it doesn't work. (laughs) But the one thing we learn about history is that people don't learn from history. We always think that we're going to be able to do it the same way that they did, and it's going to work this time. And that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and it just doesn't work that way especially with the Lord the Lord doesn't change he is consistent he is the same yesterday today and forever and when he told them in in the great law that there will be no other gods before me we're not to make any graven images that he meant it and did not want Israel to go off into it it's like it's like a a jealous husband that loves his wife so much. And if that wife were to go off with some other man, there will be a jealousy. And that husband will want to end that and, and drive that relationship apart so his wife would come back to him. And that's, that's exactly the jealousy, a righteous jealousy that God has for the children of Israel and even for you and I. That if we worship something else then we have taken God off of that place of authority in our lives. And we are not loving Him the way we should. And the result of that is God is jealous over us with a godly jealousy and wants us to come back to Him. In this text, we saw how the two kingdoms, uh, in verse number 1, has had Israel had Elah for king, Hezekiah now has taken over for his father we saw last week how his father how far off he had gone and just like many of the other kings even of Judah they will go off into the idolatry he took down the uh, altar. Uh, The burnt offering altar tore that down and designed a different one to put in its place. And that was so, so wrong because that very first altar was the altar that pictured the very salvation for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the redemption. It was a place that the entire lamb was taken and consumed. It's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and how He had died and He gave His all for you and I, a full atonement for, for our sin. And yet... He took that away, and it's just like Israel said, up, oh, let's make another God who has delivered us from, the, from, uh, from Egypt. And God says, no, 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 I am the Lord God. I am the one that has brought you out. And that's what our caution was last week, is that you and I be careful of anything that we would place above God as an idol. And I talked to us about the subjects of greed, this nation that we are in is so materialistic oriented that that we have put God down here and things are up here. We talked about some other things also with the whole subject of, of idolatry. And so today what we are going to learn about is because Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord that he took the very first thing, the most important thing that he could see as a symbol to Israel and what they were doing, and he took it and destroyed it. Historically, in not this man's life, uh, you can see it in Josiah's life. Boy, he, you think Hezekiah was a tough guy. You read Josiah in his life, he really, really ripped into them. He went in, and everything that was built back up after Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, and others brought the, the idolatry back in, Josiah went in, and he just tore house. I mean, he, he, it, there were, you know, uh, sodomites that built real close to the house of God. He said, tear them down. Just destroy them. I mean, the list goes on. He just ripped right into it. And these guys, you look at and you say, I wonder if anybody disagreed with them. Now, think about this. You know, here's a whole nation that is like, hey, let's do this. This is fun. And all of a sudden, he comes in and says, tear it down. Destroy it. And you know that there was opposition. Even historically, there was, there was one particular guy. Um, didn't memorize his name, but while he was literally tearing down the idol, one of the priests came up behind him and just stuck him in the back and killed him because of destroying that very idol that was involved with the temple worship. Trust me, they believe in this. They believe that these idols are their God and they are going to protect them. And as much as we love the Lord Jesus Christ, they love their stones. And they love their wood and all the things that they have created. And sure enough, they will not die for it. They will kill for it. And that's the difference. Here, this man, as he stood up, it says that he did that which is not only right in the sight of the Lord, but he did according to David, his father. It's interesting, he didn't say Solomon. Solomon. He said, David goes right back to the man of God, the king, that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sure enough, he did that which was right, not only in God's sight, that he followed the pattern of David and saw exactly what he did in his lifetime and said, I want to pattern myself according to that instead of his father, Ahaz. Now we talked about Ahaz a little bit last week. And what we learned about Ahaz is that he, yes, being a king of Israel, did not have the Lord as number one in his life. He was not a believer. And that's hard for us to understand. How could a guy be a king of Israel, king of Judah, and not be a believer? It's all through the Old Testament. Many of the kings were there, but didn't love God. It's just like this. Just because you're a member of Northside Baptist Church doesn't make you a Christian. Okay? Just because you are part of a church doesn't make you that you are accepted by God. Matter of fact, if I man love God, the same is known of Him. That's my memory verse for the week. And when I love God, God says, I know Him. I know that individual that really loves me. And so sure enough, we're seeing a man that loved God, and God knew him. And we're going to see the blessings down the road. And so sure enough, God knew Hezekiah, and God did not know Ahaz, his father, What he has done, which is a huge thing, was he, Hezekiah, broke the mold. It's exactly what he did. He broke the mold. He had been raised up in a house that was full of idolatry. He had seen the struggles that Ahaz went through, the battles, everything that was going through. And as he evaluated what was going on, knowing that he was the next in line to be the very next king of Judah, he purposed in his heart that he was not going to do it like his father. You want to talk about something that's hard. Take that what your father has taught you and then say you're wrong because it doesn't line up with the Bible. It doesn't line up with the law that's taking a stand. I have talked to many people about what they believe in and when they start learning the scriptures and they start seeing that what mom and dad had taught them was wrong. Many of them said that was the hardest thing for them to do was to change and to correct in their lives what they believed and what they did based on the Word of God, and basically they're looking at mom and dad saying, you were wrong. I do not agree. I've had some charismatic friends of mine, and they were off into the tongue stuff, and then they found out what the Bible actually said about it, and they realized what, what was wrong with it. The facade that was involved with it, and they pulled out from it. And boy, they took persecution as a result of coming out from that. And even some of the major doctrines that we would see. And to say, and, and it hurts. Because like my mama or my grandma, they love Jesus and they were involved with this. And now all of a sudden you're saying they're wrong or the Bible is saying they're wrong. Yep. And boy does that hurt. Just because dad believes it or mom believes it doesn't mean you have to. You base your doctrine not on what mom and dad say, you base it on what God says. You don't base it on what the preacher always says this. You don't base it on what the preacher says. You have to look at it and discover it yourself. And under Isaiah and these other prophets that were there, that were contemporaries during this man's life, Hezekiah's life, he stopped and said, I must believe what the Bible says. So he broke that mold. You know, let me take you a step further. His son, Manasseh, this is what's really hard. He did just the opposite of his father, Hezekiah. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, for he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, reared up altars unto Baal, and he made groves, and did Ahab king of Israel, as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshiped the hosts of heaven and served them. Verse 6, it says, he made his sons pass through the fire. He went back to killing little babies to worship God. You think Hezekiah saw his son's heart? You think he saw these things coming? And how would you like knowing your dad did these things, you break them knowing in your heart that they're going to be built back up again. And destruction is going to be happening. We're going to see that down the road. You're going to see how Hezekiah submits to the word of the prophet with the most devastating news he could ever have heard. So here he is in the middle. Corruption on both sides of his legacy, of his people, of his family. And here he is right in the middle. What I'm trying to teach you today is this. As an individual, we have to do just like Hezekiah. No matter what the world is doing around us. No matter what our family members are doing around us. You have to purpose in your heart that you are going to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord you look at what the scripture says you line it up and then as we're going to see you start tearing down the corruption that is around so that you can do that which is right in the sight of the Lord this was a huge thing that this man had to do by breaking down that which his own father had set up he broke the mold and folks I'm here to tell you (laughs) Just because somebody else does it, does not mean that you have to do it. In this day and age of psychology, the mindset is, I do it because my father did it. And that's why you did it. And then the shrink says, oh, you poor thing, it's not your fault at all. You do it because your father did it, or your mother did it. That's a lie. And if you believe that kind of shrink stuff, then there, then there will never have been from Genesis chapter 3 ever a person that could ever do right in the sight of the Lord. Because we all have that sinful nature. But Hezekiah is here to say, you can make a change. You can change the mold. And you'll see individuals all around. You look at Joseph's life with his brothers. These guys were losers. He's the only one that's trying to do something for God, it seems like. Just because brothers and sisters or somebody at school or wherever, this is the trend in Christianity or this is the trend that's going on, just because they're doing it doesn't make it right. What you'll see most times in the scriptures is that the minority that are standing up for truth are right and are blessed of God. And that's what we're heading towards. We want to see the blessings of God that we can live a victorious life as Hezekiah did in his text. That's what we want to see. So the first thing he does... Now think about this. Of all the things, what God would reveal to us, so here we have a king coming in, starting this reign, evaluating everything that's going on, seeing corruption inside the temple, everywhere. It's just like, okay, there's got to be a root, something that judah is sticking to that must be really important that has become the idol and what we need to do is we need to break it up and that's exactly what he did he evaluated judah and they found a particular thing that was made by moses and became something that was worshipped now let's see this historically let's look at the book of numbers and uh, chapter 21. Numbers, chapter number 21. That, I realize most of you know these stories, but we're still going to read some of these verses because there may be some people here that this is brand new to them. And what you have to remember is at one point in your life, it was brand new to you. So that's why we learn these scriptures this way. So, Numbers, chapter 21. Verses uh, 8 and 9 are the key, but we're going to see the background. Verse 4, we're going to pick it up. Now, Israel's in the wilderness wanderings, and they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of Red Sea to pass, uh, come past the land of Edom. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So, by the way, God's leading Moses, and where did it go? So, all of a sudden, you can see... There's not a problem just with Moses. There's a whole problem even with God in this whole story. They're griping and complaining. So the people spoke against God. There's their first warning. Okay, When you hear Christians talk bad about God, they are not walking in the Spirit. They are not walking with God. Now, there again, the Christian psychology of today is actually teaching you as Christians, you are allowed to get mad at God. You have every right to question the very authority of what God is doing in your life. He's probably messing up. You think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm telling you, this is what's being taught in the Christian realm, is it's okay for you to be mad at God. I'm like, where do they get into this stuff? That's as humanistic as it can be. So, not only that, but he, they began to speak against Moses. So now, the one we can't see is God. We're mad at God. Upset with Him. I can't believe He's making us do this. This is so hard. I don't understand why we have these journeys and why we're going here. And I'm so tired of the manna. I'm so tired of water coming out of rocks and all these things. It's just, it's just horrible. Let's go back to the world. Let's go back to Egypt. Remember how we used to eat back there? Remember all that food? It was so delicious. And all we got this manna. Well, Moses, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing either. And they started to speak out loud, verbally, against Moses, the leadership. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in a the wilderness? There's no bread. Neither is there any water. Our soul just loathes this light. But we are so tired of this manna. So verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now this is hard for us to understand about a loving God. Right? Because how could a loving God ever do something negative towards His people? Well, God didn't start it. The people did their heart wasn't right with the Lord, and they would not have been going through these people dying if their heart was right with the Lord. God is reacting to man's choices. Hezekiah made a right choice, and a reaction from God came. Ahaz made a choice about God, and God reacted as a result, using nations out about to destroy. The same thing with his son. Manasseh did the same thing, destruction, horrible things. So folks, I'm trying to show you, as a people, as an individual, we have to stop and look at our walk with the Lord, because when our walk with the Lord isn't right, the works of the flesh will be manifest. But when we walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in our lives. And that's both Testaments. And that's this age of grace that we live in. So sure enough, (laughs) God brings this destruction, and they they were starting to fall off and die. And then the people, guess who they came to? The tangible one, the one that we've been complaining about. Why do you think they came to Moses? Think they knew why this was happening? Isn't it interesting at work, the people that know you're a Christian, and bash you and make fun of you, that when they're hurting, who do they come to? you you know why they know what you stand for they know you're right they don't want to admit it because that means they will be saying that they are wrong and people don't want to say i'm wrong so they'll beat you up and say bad things about you to make themselves look good so sure enough they came back to moses knowing that moses one of the greatest greatest men of intercessory prayers. They knew they couldn't go directly to God themselves because they had offended the messenger of God. So they had to go to the source to get their heart right so that Moses then would be able to intercede for them. Folks, when we are not right with the Lord, we also have one who is our mediator. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will plead to the Father on our behalf to make us right with our God. The confession in verse 7 is, We have sinned. They not only said, You know what, we messed up here. You know, we, we were probably judging a little hard here. You know, we shouldn't have been questioning. No, 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 no. That's not the words that needed to be said. People are dying here. And they had to say, This is wrong. This is sin. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord. Now this is asking him to intercede. That Pray unto the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now when people go against you and start beating you up as a Christian. And when they come back to you when they're having a hard time and they say, By the way, would, would you pray for me? The, what you don't want to do is say, "It's your fault. You deal with it. You talk to God." I had a guy; he he would beat me up at work. It's one of the last factories I worked at. At his undercut saw is what I did all day long, cutting cutting wood for for axe handles and and drumsticks and everything else made from hickory. And uh, I, after break, I'd come and they'd have junk in front of me at my work site, you know, and he'd have all the the negative things, you know. Bad pictures and bad jokes, always dirty. And i just take it down, crumb it up, and throw it away. And uh, so, sure enough, one guy who was the ringleader in all of this, you know, he would, you know, break time, he'd talk about all the movies he's seen, all these corrupt things, and you need to do this, Deacon Carl, or Preacher Carl. He'd call me these things. And uh, with the one day, he'd come up just stone-faced. This is probably a couple of years after. And he goes, Carl, can I talk to you at lunchtime? I said, sure. So we went to his car. He starts crying his eyes, just bawling. And he says, my wife's going to be leaving me. And this is the third wife that I've had. And now she's going to be leaving me. And I'm like, thinking of my mind, shocker. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Because I'm sure if you're treating me rotten, you're probably treating her like dirt too. Just like you did the other gals, you know. There's a common denominator here if you're on number three, Okay. The problem may be you, okay? And so, so sure enough, he goes, will you pray for me and pray she doesn't leave? And I said, sure. And I did. pray with him, but before we did, I gave him the gospel. I sat down and said, this, this, you have to get this home built on a Christian value. Because just being together in a home doesn't make it a home. It's when Christ is the center of your home. And that's what we resist because that means i got to change and do things the right way and love my wife and actually pray with my wife and and do these spiritual things and be walking with the Lord and all. And so sure enough, uh, he didn't want to get saved, but he just wanted the quick fix. Uh, But I prayed and uh, cried with him. I, I told him I'm very sorry he's going through this. I had to tell him the truth in love. Uh, he didn't get saved. But it was an opportunity. And uh, after that, our, our rapport was different, by the way. Changed everything. So, sure enough, he does pray. Moses made a serpent, verse 9. It was a serpent of brass. Remember that big fancy word back in the other text? Uh, when he busted up, Hezekiah busted up, it means it's a piece of brass, folks. That's what it means. It's a piece of brass. You're worshiping a piece of brass. So I'm going to break it up into little p- bitty pieces to say, this isn't God. But Moses makes this piece of brass in the, ser- uh, in the form of a serpent because the serpents were going after, and that's a picture of sin, if you didn't know that. And then comes the serpent on, uh, made of brass, and he puts it up on a pole. So that people from a distance could actually see the pole and see the serpent up on the pole. And those who are in the medical field know to this day that that is the symbol yet for the medical field of healing. So he lifts this serpent up on a pole. Boy, they just can't get around the Bible, can they out there? Isn't that awesome? So it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked upon the serpent of brass, he lived. There's a, there's a hymn that says, Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. And that's why I took you to the text of John 3 last week. Because in that same text, Jesus, right before, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right before that, Jesus, by way of illustration, said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was prophesying that he was going to be lifted up on a cross and dying. And whosoever believeth, in this text, if you look to Jesus, as they would look at the serpent, on the the brass serpent on the pool, they would be healed. If you look to Jesus Christ on the cross, you will live. You will be healed. It's a picture of salvation, folks. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. And Jesus used this anti-type of Himself. So sure enough, as people went by and they would look on this one, they would see their body begin to heal. And boy, that legend continued on. Folks, for over 700 years, going toward 1,000 years, they kept this brazen or brass serpent and carried it around through the wilderness, through all these times of the kings, the judges, Joshua, that thing was carried all that time. Because it was a remembrance in their minds of what God did on that special day to heal and to save individuals that would look to live. They carried it. Before long, they started to say, you know what? There's probably some real healing value in this, isn't there? Maybe if we start burning incense and actually start praying to this thing, maybe we'll start experiencing the same healing that they received back under Moses. Makes good logical human sense to me. If it healed them, why can't it heal us if we just go to this piece of brass? And sure enough, there has to be some type of Power involved with this that we will be able to get healing or help. Folks, you say, Well, that's Old Testament. People don't do that anymore. eBay, this is a true story. On eBay, a piece of bread, cheese sandwich, was sold for tens of thousands of dollars. Because it had an image of Mary on it. True story. You can look it up. Get on the internet. Look at it. Tens of thousands of dollars. For a piece of bread. Because it had an image on it. Over towards Chicago several years ago. There was this ice melting down. And they said it had some type of a silhouette. Of maybe Jesus or Mary again. People were lining up along there. To get up and get a picture of this thing. And you can see them praying. There thinking this it's a piece of ice it's a piece of bread that has mold all over it and people will worship it I'm going to be specific so I'm over at the basilica and I asked somebody I said what do you have kneeling benches in front of the statue for I'll say we don't pray to them what do you have a kneeling bench in front of it for isn't that for Kneeling, bowing down before a piece of stone? You don't do that. It's called idolatry and it's happening. You have these little beads. I'm going to pray for this beads. It's, it's man made. We have a cross here. Hey, that's, that's, we put this one up because the guy said how symbolic of, of what we do with the passion play, okay? But I hope you have never looked at that piece of wood. And thought, boy, that has some kind of symbolism that boy I could get in special touch with God because it's a it's it's the cross. Folks will burn it up then. It's not it's a piece of wood. Brother John Austin, I don't know if he's here today, he took valiant effort to put that baby together. I said years ago, I said I need a cross, and he made a doozy. If you pick that up, you will know that is one heavy cross. It isn't going anywhere it's a piece of wood folks by nature we want something that's tangible and what's sad about this is they took that which symbolized healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and they began to worship a piece of brass they looked at that brass for protection for healing that it would have virtue in and of itself for them So what he, Hezekiah, we're back to 2 Kings 18 again. Verse number 4. He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto these days, those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. That literally means it's a piece of brass. There's nothing in it, and he busted that thing up. Some of the uh, guys during Reformation periods would be known for that. Huss, uh, Some other John, uh, he was known for that. He would he would take his crews out at night. He's it's this cool picture of him like it's just uh, of course hand drawn, but it's a picture of him looking around the corner, seeing if anybody's looking and looking for idols. And he would go over with his hammers and bust them down at night. It's like, this is a piece of stone. You break them up. They're not worthy of anybody's attention and worship. Oh, it's still happening. It's still happening. And what this man did is he chose to do something that was very, very important. Of all the things that he could have started with, and there's other things he could have started with, but he decided to remove these things and to create a brand new form of worship. Hezekiah had to cleanse the temple. He had to cleanse the place of worship. He had to take those things that were being worshipped. Instead of the true God. And he, he had to break them up and destroy them. Get them out of the lives. book of Acts is a powerful story about how how people were coming to know Christ as their savior and they had a time period where they took all of the witchcraft books and all the things that were associated with idolatry and they took it and had a huge bonfire and just burned it up. They said, we don't need this stuff anymore. Did did anybody do that besides me in your personal life? Some of you did that. I see a couple hands going up. I did. I had a bonfire after I was a Christian. Because there was all these things that were wrong, not good in my life. And I remember sitting and saying, uh, this we don't need anymore. There was music, there were books that I had, and a list goes on. Some of those were the, the as you know, my testimony. The idolatrous books that I was given by uh, a man by the name of Terry, uh, who had given me from 14 on up, all these books that he gave me. I was like, I'm a Christian now. I don't need these things anymore. And the tens of thousands of dollars that those people burned up, they didn't miss one of them. And he didn't miss one of them. Can you imagine how upset people were when he busted that up? Probably even within his own family. But you see, he didn't worry about what man thought. He worried what God thought. And that's what we have to get into our minds. Quit worrying about everybody else. You have to get you straight before you can help them. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's getting everything cleansed. By the way, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, 13 to 17, when Jesus came into ministry, right away at public ministry, guess what he did? He went right into the temple and cleansed the temple. And he started throwing down that it was a money making thing. And, you know, I was, I was uh, reading a book at a yard sale. I don't know how old the book. I I couldn't actually find the date at the front of it. I should have bought the thing. Could have probably gotten some history. But uh, in this book was right at the time period where Christian films were starting to come out. And in this book, he put a caution to say, I sure hope that those who are involved with the Christian films do not begin to look at this as dollar signs and money making. That it is something that is supposed to give value to Christians concepts for them to live by he wasn't saying don't make them but but just like the temple they took that which was good and they made it corrupt they took the brazen altar brazen serpent that was good and they made it corrupt they took the temple of god and they made it corrupt god meant it for good and they made it bad that's what satan does folks He'll take that which God has created beautifully and He'll make it dirty. And He'll make it ugly. We have to be careful. By the way, I was looking at a Christian film just this morning. I thought, oh, I forgot I had this one. I'm not going to say which one it was. Most of you have watched it. And, uh, and I was looking at the DVD. I, I thought, oh, i open up to make sure it's in here. And there it was. And on the other side was an advertisement to buy roses. Call this number 888 and you can be able to buy these. I'm like, there it is. Hey, let's market this. That's not what what Christianity is about. I'm not marketing. There's something that God said is the root of all evil. What was that? The, and i notice his words, it is a root, it's the stem, it's where it's coming from, and not just some evil, but it says all evil, all, everything that's corrupt, it comes from this one thing, of, oh, what was that? Oh yeah, the love of money, wasn't it? It's still, to this day, the root of all evil. So you bust it down, get rid of it. Oh yeah, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 encourages you and I, uh, there's a whole list of what do you not know in that chapter. There's, there's quite a few of them. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He is in you. You have him of God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. So God says, you and I, we are the very temple of the, of the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And if we would then take on for our body those forms of idolatry, God says they are not going to be able to coexist. It's just—it's just—it's just this battle. And so when we are truly worshiping God and serving the Lord inside of our hearts and our lives, sure enough, then there's going to be that sweet fellowship. But when we have the Spirit of God inside of us because we are Christians and we try to bring in the idolatries and the things that are wrong in our lives, that's why we are miserable and that's why God has to step in and to have bad things happen to us to wake us up. Okay? You know why He does it? Because He's a mean God. Nope, wrong reply. You know why he does it? He just loves to torment us. That's the wrong answer. God is reacting. He wants to bless, but instead he has to correct. And God doesn't want to correct. He reacts. He does that because of our walk with the Lord. So sure enough, the, the, the temple had to be cleansed. So the bottom line, as I conclude, is this. Let's look at, let's look at 3 John a couple New Testament verses. Third John. That's right after 2nd if you didn't know it. Okay. This is a short one. We won't read the whole thing. But I want to show you a concept. Verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of god he that doeth evil has not seen god so ahaz didn't see god didn't know god hezekiah knew god and here's the key he followed not evil that was what his daddy was doing that's what israel was doing instead he but that which is good he followed the example of david that which is good. Now let me show you the concept. Young people, I want you to listen to me on this. Right now, as you go into different settings at school or, you know, you know uh, sports or whatever, you will see immediately groups coming together. You, you just follow me on this. And you're going to be stopping and saying, where am I going to go? Who am I going to be with? Now, if you, if you say, you know what? I'm a bad boy, and I want to be with the bad boys, it'll take you about two minutes to find them. It will not take you long at all, and it's going to be a magnet. You're going to go right to them. They're to steal, and you're going to be attracted right to them because that's what you are. And if you get around them, they're going to start defiling you even more. Because they're evil. They're going to break you down. You're going to be involved with the same things they're involved with. And all of a sudden, you're going to go home. Your attitude's going to be different with mom and dad. And all of a sudden, there's fighting in the home. You're not doing your homework. Everything's a negative thing. And you say, they just don't understand me. Okay. No, I think we understand you. It's just that you're making bad choices. And you're around the wrong people. And they're having a negative influence on you. Why don't you stop and say, I wonder who the most godly person is in this whole room. Why don't you look for them? Why don't you follow that which is good instead of following that which is evil? Because you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm really, really strong, and I'm going to change their lives. You don't have to join them to change their life. You have to become part of them to influence them. I'm not saying not talk and communicate and witness to them. You need to do that. We're to reach the world. But I'm talking about being with them doing the things they are involved with. Don't do it. You stay away from that because it's a whole lot easier to tear people down than it is to build people up. If 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 Dave were down here, it will be a whole lot easier if we join hands for him to tear me down. It will be harder for me to build him up or to bring him up. And that's the concept. Easiest thing to do is tear down, but to build it up takes time. It takes years. So do that which is right. Look at 1 Peter. Same kind of concept. In chapter number 3. Starting in verse 10. 1 Peter 3.10 For he that will love life. Isn't that a neat phrase? Do you, you want to love life? Do you think... Ahaz loved life or do you think Hezekiah loved life you know he loved life because why he wanted to stay here a lot longer (laughs) he prayed for it he loved life he wanted to be here if you want to love life and if you want to see good days let him first of all refrain his tongue from here it is evil till you get the communication going right because when you're down things you're beating things up with your mouth it's negativity in all of your life Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're just revealing who you are. So just study, be quiet. Just don't say anything. And his lips, that they speak no guile, deceitful, craftiness. You've been around people that you don't trust them. They're deceivers. They'll say this. And you know they're saying something else to somebody else. You just stay away from that kind of person. Let him eschew evil. Stay away from evil. And here it is. Do good. Let him seek Peace and ensue. Go right after it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So if we're doing evil, we cannot expect the blessings of God. But if we get our tongue right, because the heart is right, and we don't go towards that which is corrupt, tearing down. We go towards that which is good. All of a sudden, God's blessing is going to be on us. We are going to love life. We're going to see good days. And when we pray in verse number 12, God wants to answer our prayers. So this, this goes to everything in our life as a Christian. And that's what we want we want to know that we can go directly to God in our prayers, not wondering, gee, I wonder if God is even going to hear me today. I wonder if His face is towards me. Do you know as a Christian you can know that? And you do know that. Because when you're in fellowship with the Lord, all of a sudden, everything becomes easy as, as a Christian. One more verse, and then we're going to close. 2 Corinthians 10. He's dealing with, in this text, spiritual warfare. Idolatry is part of that spiritual warfare. Verse 3: for though we walk, In the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, there's a spiritual battle you and I as Christians are going through. Our weapons, our warfare are not carnal, physical that is, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds. So all of a sudden we have these heavy, heavy wars that we are going through as an individual Christian. And here's what he says in verse 5. If you don't have this verse memorized, you should. Casting down imaginations. That is, things that were created right up here. And everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God that we find from in the Word of God. Just like the children were singing about. Knowing Jesus by all these things about Him. And we know Him. And we know these things that He has. So if something goes against the knowledge of God in our minds, we take those things and we throw them down break them up because they are going against the principles of God then he goes on and says it says anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ Hezekiah epitomized that very thing. He took the law of Moses, he took the principles that he learned of David, and he elevated those things, and those things that were corrupt and evil, he cast them down, broke them up, because they were exalting themselves against the very knowledge of God. We want to know God. We want to know what He has to say. So if something is opposing Christ and the knowledge of God, you tear that down. Remember the guy that was assisting uh, uh, people in, in suicide? Working? Remember that guy? He was on Fox News this week. heres I, I didn't catch the whole thing, but let me give you basics of what this guy was saying. And this is the mindset. He told him on this interview, this is what he is going around to colleges, and as he is interviewing students in college, this is the communication that he is getting. So... Idiot colleges are bringing a guy like this in to debate, and the the question as he is talking to him about is what is man. I'm summarizing. What is man? In his mind, man is an animal. That's what we are. We're just animals. The uh, the newsman asks him a question. He goes, you know, trying to get inside of his brain. He goes, so what did you do for fun as you were a kid? <laughs> Now that you're older, you get a kick out of having people die, you know. And he said, well, I, I, I played baseball. I had a great time as a kid. I played just like any other animal, word for word right there. He goes, the animals go out and they play in the field. They have all kinds of fun. That's all we are. He said, here was one of the questions that a student had for me. If a human being, now we're, of course, battling Christianity if you didn't know that. If a human being takes a valve, a pig valve, and place it into the body, or takes a organ from a baboon, and places that into the body, is that body then sanctified any longer? Is it still the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because you took something that was an animal that is not made in the image of God, and is it not now defiled as a Body? And if you were to take a human bo- part of the body, which is the temple of God, and you take a part of that and you put it into an animal, does that not make that animal then sanctified? All of a sudden, is it not in the image of God because it has a human part? This is the way people are reasoning. And they say, absolutely not. Because the physical body, we are just an animal. We're here for so long and we die. So why should a person that is failing, if he's an animal, you're going to put him down? Why shouldn't a a, a human being then in the age of their suffering, why should they continue to suffer? Just put them out of their misery. They're just dead and that's it. There is no more. All of a sudden, the person that is leading this, of course, had principles and he did not go along with this. And of course, he knew that. And here's, here's what we do. There is a mindset that is going to try to take God out of everything. They are trying to mock that which is found within the scriptures. That very verse that I read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 are the very verses that he was referring to. Because we believe that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God is living inside of us. By the way, there is an answer to that you and I realize that this human body that we have, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is a temporary housing. That this physical body is that which represents the flesh and sin, and that's why this physical body dies, to take on a brand new body. What he's referring to is that inside of us, the real you and I, not the flesh. In the flesh, there is never one verse that says anything positive about the flesh. It is corrupt. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's that old man. That which is dying. Ouch, that hurts. It's pain. Right? So that's dying. But the real you and I, that which is eternal, the mind and the spirit, is where the spirit of God is dwelling that is inside this house. And guess what? He is in us. He is always going to be in us. He is our source of life. And even when we die and go to heaven, He, because He is in us, is still our source of life because He is eternal. And so therefore, I am eternal. And that's why He says, He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. You know why? We have Christ in us. Folks, we have to realize there are these imaginations these things that are out there that are exalting itself against the knowledge of God and we are to realize that is corruption and put it down and yet the world is saying please give it to me because now we can explain away God if we can explain away God and if I'm just an animal and when I die I go six foot under and that's it there's no conscience there's nothing eternal I die that means I don't have to stand before God someday. And that relieves me. Because now, when I live here, I do not have to think or be in awareness of God. And that means I can do whatever I want. It doesn't work. I'm here to warn you. It's not going to work. Because you are who God has created you to be and you are an eternal being. There is a missing point, and that is that you do not, if you do not have Christ as your Savior, you, you don't have eternal life yet. You have eternal death. That's why Christ talked about passing from death unto life, eternal death unto eternal life. So right now, if you were to die without the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die, live eternally in hell, separated from God, And if you were to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you will be in beautiful bliss in heaven. That has torment. Heaven is beautiful. That has darkness. It's ugly. You say, well, if a loving God would be out there anywhere, He would never send people to a horrible place like that. Again, God is reacting. God didn't even make it for man. He made it for the devil and the angels. But because of man's failure in the garden he also has to because of sin separate himself that's why that phrase separation from God is such a vital thing in in this reference is is you are separated from life the source of life and that's God and God doesn't want that you're right he is a loving God and that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die lifted up and Jesus said if I be lifted up all men will be drawn to me That serpent was lifted up and men lived if they looked. And right now, Jesus Christ is dying on the cross and He is lifted up. If you believe on Him, He will give you eternal life. You will not die. You You will have life. Father, we've tried to share biblical concepts for the lost as well as the saved. Help us, Lord, to look in our hearts individually If there are any here that do not know Christ as Savior, that this will be the day that it finally collects, that they will believe and, and, and invite Christ into their heart. So, Lord, this is your invitation. Use it in Jesus' name. Amen.